Well, good morning, everyone. We're so glad you're here. I know that you just uh, were standing, but would you stand one more time as we go before the text this morning? And if you're watching at home, too, uh, if you'd like to, we invite you to do it, too. Why don't you stand right there in your living room or wherever you're at and join us for this prayer. It's a prayer of dedication that helps us kind of center ourselves with everything else going on in the world. In this moment, this time, we're just inviting uh, ourselves, really, to hear from God this morning. We'll be in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 17 today, so that's where we'll be going. But let's start off with, uh, with this prayer in Deuteronomy 6. Say it after me. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. All right, 1 Samuel, starting uh, uh, 17, starting in verse 1. We're actually going to read the beginning of this story. This is the David and Goliath narrative. We're going to read the beginning of it, and we're going to then uh, jump ahead and read, uh, see the conclusion of it. Uh, it's a long story, and we're going to be hitting on some particular things today, and those are the verses that are really pertinent uh, to us today. So we're going to start in verse 1, but we'll skip ahead here in a bit. It says this, 1 Samuel 17. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sokah in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephsdemim between Sokah and Ezekiah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath who was from Gath came out of the Philistine camp his height was six cubits in a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 6,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, then the Philistines said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now David was the son of a Urephatite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and, and in Saul's time he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The first son was Eliab, the second Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep in Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Mean, okay, now we're going to jump ahead to verse 41. So now we're going to go ahead and we're going to see this confrontation now play out. It says this in verse 41. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you would come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, 
You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcass of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistines with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from his sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. What a, what a story, huh? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, this is quite a story indeed. And, of course, uh, as we read it, it's actually the, probably one of, if not the most well-known story in all the Bible. Right? Even people who aren't, uh, don't go to church or read the Bible that often, they know of this story. In fact, I was talking with a neighbor yesterday, and they asked, oh, what are you talking about tomorrow? And I told them, oh, the David and Goliath story. And they said, I know that one. They were excited. They asked me, who's going to win? I tell them, I, we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll see when we get there. You should watch. You'll, you'll find out. But everybody knows this story. There's all sorts of versions of the story. Not the outcome. The outcome usually is the same every time, but versions of it, there's lots of different versions. In fact, I was just reading uh, the version of it that came in the Beginner's Bible, uh, one of my children's uh, Bibles, and I thought I'd read it for you. I think it's time for story time, because I I want us to get kind of the version of it. Now, in the biblical story, right, it's a little more uh, gritty, right? There's, uh, we kind of forget some of these details, but like, David doesn't just like hit him in the head and like daze him a little bit. Like, he kills him. And then he cuts off his head. And then actually later in the story, we didn't read this part, but Saul calls him back after the battle to come before me. And David walks in holding Goliath's head in his hands. He like walks into the chambers. He's like, yeah, what what do you want now, Saul? Like he's holding the man's head in it. That's true. It it happens. So it's a little, that version, the biblical version is a little more gritty, I would say. But let's see how they handle it here in, um, in the beginner's Bible here uh, uh, in uh, David and Goliath's story. It says this, story time. The Philistines were enemies of God. Their army came to fight King Saul's army. The giant soldier named Goliath yelled, bring me your best soldier to fight me. Okay, here we go. If your strongest soldier defeats me, you will be, uh, we will be slaves, he boomed. But if I defeat you, you will be our slaves. King Saul's soldiers were afraid. They did not want to fight the giant. Meanwhile, young David was taking food to his brothers. They were soldiers in King Saul's army. When David reached the camp, he saw Goliath. David heard the the giant's challenge. I'm not afraid to fight the giant, said David. King Saul called for David and told him, You cannot fight the giant. You are too young. David replied, God will be with me. King Saul gave his armor to David, but it was big and heavy. David wasn't used to wearing armor. David went to a nearby stream and picked up five stones. And he stood before Goliath, and the giant laughed at him. 
But David didn't care. He said, I come before you in the name of the Lord who rules over all. And David put a stone in his sling and ran toward the giant, and he let the stone fly. And this is my favorite part. This is how they conclude it. Remember the biblical story, what, what happened there. This is how they end the story. It hit Goliath's forehead, and he fell to the ground. The Philistines saw that he was down, and they ran away. <laughs> you know, it's just a little kind of, you know, a nicer kind of kid's bedtime story. You know, if you read the biblical account, it might give your children nightmares. So, you know, this is just sort of their version of it to kind of smooth things over a bit. But there are all sorts of versions, right? There's all sorts of versions of this David and Goliath story. But what's the reality is, is there's actually a lot of versions of the David and Goliath story in the Bible itself. Because the David and Goliath story is really telling a bigger story. It's really a story that we see throughout the Bible. And so when you read it, you're actually going to get the David and Goliath story all over. So what I want to do today is let's look at three stories. Let, let's look at the very first time this David and Goliath story is told. And then we'll look at this story. But then there's a future story ahead. So if you would, flip over to Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, this is really the first time we get this version of the story. And in Genesis 3, it's the story of sin entering the world through one man. Adam, you know, with the persuasion of his wife, certainly, rebels against God and sets into motion sin and death for everybody, right? The action of one becomes the outcome for all. And I really want us to get that concept because that's going to be important as we read the story throughout the stories, is the idea that the outcome, the action of one— becomes the outcome for all. One man sins, one man rebels, and it becomes the consequence, the, the loss for everybody else. And so God begins dishing out the punishments, and he starts with the one who orchestrated it in the first place, the serpent. So he says this in Genesis 3, starting in verse 13. He says this, So the Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And now the next verse that comes is actually a special verse. They, they have this kind of nerdy special name for it. It's called the Proto-Evangelium, which means the first gospel. Proto meaning first, kind of like prototype. An evangelium, evangelism, the gospel, the good news. So, so as, as people have read this, they, they have identified this verse as the first time God is revealing how he's going to fix this entire mess that, that, that Adam has made. Adam's made this mess, and this is the first time we're going to see how God is going to put it all back together. It says this, And you will put enmity between you and I, excuse me, I will put enmity, this is God speaking, between you, the serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. This is God talking to the serpent. And he said, all right, this is how it's going to go now now. Right? From now on, there's sort of these two sides. You've kind of created these two sides, these two generations, these two lines. And for the rest of time now, these two lines are going to kind of be in opposite directions. They're going to be, there's going to be enmity. There's going to be hostility. There's going to be tension between these two lines. And so throughout human history now, these two lines, the line of the serpent and the offspring of the serpent and the line of the woman, who kind of represents humanity, uh, her line is going to go. 
And there's going to be this hostility and this tension and this anger that's fought. And as you kind of battle throughout time, as you battle throughout time, the serpent side, they're going to get their shots in. They're, going to, they're, they're, they're not going to go away quietly. They're going to bruise your heel. Your, your heel will be bruised by this. This isn't going to be pleasant. This isn't a good thing. This, I'm trying to put this all back together, but in the meantime, it's not going to be pleasant for you. He's going to get you. But he, the text says, he, the offspring of the woman, someone down the line will come, and he will crush the serpent's head. He's going to get you. The serpent, he's going to, that line, that, that side, they're going to get their shots in. But he, the offspring, someone down the line on the other side is going to come. And when he comes, he will crush his head. And it's the first little glimpse we have, the first little uh, pinch of hope, that while things are going to not be great, our heels will be bruised, things, things are not going to go well for us, in this life, that someone down the line will come to crush the serpent's head. You tracking with me? Okay? So this is the first time we see that going. God promises that in the end, he will win. Now, generations go by, and the offspring of these two develop. The offspring of these two sides develop. Through the line of the woman comes patriarchs like Adam, Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob. And out of them, the nation of Israel is born. And through the line of the serpent comes patriarchs like Haran, and Esau, and Ishmael. Out of them, nations like the Philistines are born. In fact, these, this line, uh, this kind of cursed line, uh, really manufactures and produces most of Israel's enemies throughout the Old Testament. Through this one line, this, this generational side of the serpent. And so these two sides, Israel and these nations, battle again and again and again. And one of the more prominent ones is this nation of the Philistines. Now, probably the most famous Israelite is a man named David, who we're looking at through this sermon series. And certainly the most Philistine, Philistine, the most famous Philistine, is a giant by the name of Goliath. And here we have story number two. So in story number two, let's start with Goliath. What, what is Goliath? Well, who was he? Well, let's take a look. In 2 Samuel 17, we get, a little, uh, we get a little description of this man, a champion named Goliath who was from Gath. He came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits in a span. He had bronze helmet on his head, and he wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 6,000 shekels on his legs. He wore a bronze uh, greaves, and a bronze javel was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. Now, here's a little game that I like to play, and I've said this before, I've mentioned this before, but when you are reading the Bible, one of the little tools in your tool belt you can use to kind of help understand what's going on is when the author gives you seemingly random or uninteresting information, that's almost always a tell that the author is trying to do something. He's trying to tell you something with this seemingly random information. Friends, why do we need to know how much his iron point weight. Like, why, why is that important to the story? And we're given a lot of this type of information. The author is trying to tell us something. And here's what I think the author is trying to tell us. Let's take a look at it. First, his height was six cubits and a span. 
Next, the weight of his armor, 6,000 shekels. Now, I want to be upfront with you, because if you're reading other versions, your other versions might say 5,000. And if that's the case, let me just explain quickly what's going on here. Uh, in this story, the, the David and Goliath narrative is actually one that has a lot of different variations to it. It's one of the ones that have the most variations when we're trying to translate it. And the reason for that is, is because when you don't have computers, and you're trying to copy the text again and again and again over thousands of years, inevitably, because of our own human error, we're going to make mistakes every once in a while, right? And so when we're copying and copying and copying, if you've ever played a game of telephone where you whisper the message to the next person that whispers that, eventually you get little uh, discrepancies in the original message. Now, they actually have a whole school, a whole discipline around this called textual criticism. And let me tell you, friends, it is super boring. It is completely boring. Because what they do is they trace all these small, minor variations throughout the text, and they're able to trace where they came from. Sort of like, oh, there's when, you know, Ulysses messed up in the 14th century, and then you can see then they copied it, and they copied it, and they copied it, and they copied it after that. Like, it's very scientific, and it's super boring. Okay, for, like, I took a couple classes, yes, a couple classes on this, and I wanted to die. It was horrible. It was so boring. But friends, it is, I'm so thankful to these men and women who find this fascinating, who, who pour their time into it, in order to show us just how accurate and minor and traceable these differences are, right? It's sort of like uh, uh, when, when you're into something, when, when something is, you're passionate about it, uh, you just get into the numbers. And other people look and be like, that's really weird, but you just find it like so fascinating, right? For me, it's the bills, I'll admit it. Like, I have way more useless information about the bills than most people. And if I talk to you and you don't care about the bills, you'd be like, this is ridiculous and, and boring. Why are you doing this, right? That's just what happens. And we have men and women who love the scriptures and want to show its accuracy, want to show its, uh, the history of what's going on. And so they have poured lifetimes of work into it to show us just how accurate the Bible is. And the minor differences we do, I'm talking about things like, did the original say Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ? We're talking that kind of minor differences. They're traceable, they're easy to show what happened, and we can rest in the security of the Bible. We can rest in its authenticity and authority. But, like I said, in this story, there are a few of those minor variances. And what you have to do is when you look at it and you trace it back, uh, you, there's actually a question you have to ask. Did, did it say 5,000 or did it say 6,000? So some of your versions, that translator decided on 5,000. Some other uh, translators are going to say, I, I, I think it's more like 6,000. Now, I'm going to argue personally, and this is not gospel truth, uh, but I'm going to argue personally, I, I, think, I, I think it's 6,000 because I think the author's trying to do something. And I want to show you that here in a second. So let's just go on that assumption, okay? If we go on that assumption, he, had, he was six cubits in a span high. His weighted armor was 6,000 shekels. And then finally, the weight of his spearhead was 600 shekels as well. Six cubits, 6,000, and 600 shekels. Six, six, six. 
We actually see, the, we actually see in the Old Testament, they do, they do it in other places too like that. Like in Daniel, they're trying to show you what kind of a person it is. So they're going to slip that number in every once in a while just to kind of communicate what's, what's going on here. I think what the author is doing is that he's not only showing you how big Goliath was, but who Goliath was in the story. And to make sure we don't miss it, he then slips in, and Goliath wore a coat of scale armor. The scaly Philistine, right? Goliath is on one side. And here's what Goliath proposes. He says this, Goliath stood and shouted at the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. And on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. So what Goliath is doing is proposing a battle of what we call federal headship, which is another nerdy term you can impress your friends with, right? Federal headship. And that basically uh, means, the idea is, is that it's the idea that one person representing the the whole, a federal head, a federal, you know, we think the federal government, right? It's, It's the one kind of over it all, right? So a federal head is someone who represents the all, the whole, so their actions, their choices, their decisions will f- affect everybody else. You bring one person to the table, I'm going to bring one person to the table, we represent everybody else, and so your victory will be their victory, your loss will be our loss. The action of one becomes the outcome for all. Sound familiar? This is Genesis 3 again, it's the same story. One person, one man stands and represents everyone, and his actions for the one will become the outcome for the all. You see, Adam was our original federal head. He was the one who represented us, and his loss was our loss. And now Goliath proposes it again. And for 40 days, it says, 40 days the enemy tempted and taunted. Why do you come out and line up for battle? He says, what, what, you're, you're even going to try? You've no, you've no chance. Why do, you even, why do you even show up? Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? You think your little weapons, you think your little thing is going is to beat this giant heavy armor and this giant heavy weapon I have? Why do you come at me with your little sticks? And it says all of the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now, the word dismayed in the Hebrew literally means to be broken. They were terrified, and they were broken. Their heels were bruised. Their heels were bruised. And then the other side arrives. The other side arrives. David, born in Bethlehem, a shepherd, the anointed king of Israel. He stands up to the enemy and he declares, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down. Verse 
And then, it says, taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead. And he fell face down on the ground. You see, this thing didn't just kind of knock him out. This stone didn't just kind of daze him. I, I love the, the picture in the storybook Bible. It's of, of, of Goliath, and he's just kind of like laid out, right? He's got his tongue sticking out, and he's just kind of like, looks like he's dazed. So that's not, that's not what the scripture says. The scripture said that stone sank into his forehead. It crushed his head. And he fell face forward, which is the position of submission when you stand before the true king. The scaly Philistine bruised their heels, but then he gets his head crushed. You see, the story keeps being told again and again and again. God promises that in the end, he will win. Because there's another story to go. Because the serpent for the serpent. The story's not over. The giant is but a a foreshadow, an illustration, a picture of the ongoing we face right here and right now. When one giant goes down, another one takes his place. The enemy who bruises your heel, the enemy who leaves you limping, the enemy who whispers in your ear, why do you come out and line up for battle? You think anything's going to change? You, you think there's something you, you, you can stand up against me? You think that thing, you're, you think you can, you can that's going to get fixed? That's going to be, you think, you think it's going to get changed, don't you? You come at me, am I a dog? You come at me with sticks? You think your little prayers, your little devotions, your little songs, you think that's going to do anything against me? Well, why are you here? Just give up. You're not going to make it. They whisper the taunts and the temptations, and we are afraid and dismayed. Because here's the reality of the story, friends, is that you are not David in the story. You are not David. We've heard before the stories, the messages about how we stand, with God's help certainly, but we stand and face our giants and we sling and kill the giants. Friends, you are not David in the story. You are the cowering Israelite in the corner, fearful, terrified, and dismayed. No, friends, you need another champion. You need someone to fight in your place. You need a federal head. You need a savior. Then the other side arrives, the one, the offspring of the woman, the son of David, and declares that his story is not over either. David was born in a Bethlehem, but this son of David was too. And David was a shepherd, but this son of David proclaimed, I am the good shepherd. This David was a king, but this son of David is the king of kings. This this son of David heard the taunts of the enemy for 40 days himself and said, man does not live on bread alone, but on the very word of God. And so the first line of the Gospels in Matthew 1.1, right at the beginning, declares this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son 
of David, friends. You are not David in the story. But you have one. You have one. See, Jesus is our federal head. His victory over death is the victory for all of us. There's a man named Paul who got to know these scriptures, read the story, saw it in the Old Testament over and over and over again. Then he witnessed what Jesus did on the cross, and he said, the story goes on. And so he's penning this, this letter to a group of, of Christians in, in, the, in the city of Rome, and I can see him like frantically doing it. And he writes this in Romans 5. He says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people, because all sinned, the consequences, the actions of one, was the outcome for everyone. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people as well. For just as through, through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Adam used to be our federal head, and the choice of the one brought sin and death into the world. But now, as Paul continues to write to a group in Corinth, he writes, death has been swallowed up in victory. The victory has been won. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is the sin and power of the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us, he gives us us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, you're not Adam. You're, you're not David in the story. But you have one in Jesus. I'd like to invite the band up as we finish up. The action of the one became the outcome for it all. The story continues and continues. But here's the reality. We know that day is coming, right? We're nervous tonight because we don't know the outcome of that battle. That we don't know if the victory is won tonight, but we know this victory is. And because of that, we can live in hope and freedom and joy, and we can sleep well at night knowing that even though it's not going too well right now, We're going to get it in the end because our champion has come. We know that day is coming when the final victory will be won. But until then, the story isn't over because this is not the way it's supposed to be. We recognize this. Death isn't the way it's supposed to be. And cancer is not the way it's supposed to be. Disorder is not the way it's supposed to be. Addiction is not the way it's supposed to be. Loneliness is not the way it's supposed to be. Racism and prejudice, not the way it's supposed to be. Anxiety is not the way it's supposed to be. Pandemics are not the way it's supposed to be. You see, friends, our heels are bruised. You might walk with a limp right now. But God promises that in the end, he will win. The gospel says that while your heel is bruised, Jesus will crush 
the head. Death has bruised our heel, but Jesus will crush its head. Cancer has bruised our heel, but Jesus will crush its head. Disorders have bruised our heel, but Jesus will crush its head. Addiction has bruised our heel, but Jesus will crush its head. Loneliness has bruised our heel, but Jesus will crush its head. Racism and prejudice has bruised our heel, but Jesus will crush its head. Anxiety has bruised our heel, but Jesus has crushed its head. This pandemic has bruised our heel, but Jesus will crush its head. And therefore, whom shall we fear? We need not be dismayed or terrified because the action of the one became the victory for us all. And so our hope and joy can be anchored in the fact that in the end, he will win. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful because if we stood up to, to the giants, Lord, we would get crushed and overwhelmed on our own. Lord, we are in the corner, terrified until you showed up and brought the victory for all of us. And now we can live a life of joy and victory and power. We can come in behind like those armies did after the battle. We can come in behind and declare the victory because our champion went ahead of us and gave it to us first. So Father, you have no rival. Jesus, you have no equal. You destroyed the curse of sin and shame. And so we come as a people. The army behind you to celebrate the victory you've won. We love you, Jesus. Amen.